Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody, to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And I'm happy to say this is our first show for 2022. So welcome us all into the new decade. And uh, hopefully we'll multiply us 10 times this time through the decade. Well, what are we going to talk about tonight for our first show? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, there's been numerous theories about what became of James Riddle Hoffa. For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, he was a uh, labor union leader who vanished mysteriously, I believe, in 1975. And it's become folklore uh, to find out where this guy is. Every couple of years, people have new theories. So uh, we uh, consulted our bank of computers and our sources, and we came up with nine theories oh, as wow. to what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. And these are, these are theories that have already been explored. These are not our theories. These are theories that the uh, law enforcement community actually investigated. And if my memory serves me right, it was July of July. 75. That. <laughs> and I went to no computers. I know right where I was when I got the call. <laughs> well, well, we'll go through these, these uh, theories uh, first and then... Uh, Oh, yeah, have, please. Oh, I, yeah. You have news, Johnny, that uh, perhaps uh, people haven't heard about. In fact, I, I never did until you told me. But anyway, uh, this goes in chronological order. The first theory being that uh, Jimmy Hoffa was killed on the orders of uh, New Jersey crime boss Anthony Tony Pro Provenzano. And this comes from a hitman. Uh, and a lot of these theories come from a hitman who all swore that they killed him. Well, Provenzano uh, had the absolute connection with him. So yeah, yeah, there was definitely a connection there. Yeah. But uh, uh, the FBI investigated it and found there was no evidence to support the claim. And, uh, of course, the most infamous theory is that, uh, this is theory number two, is that Hoffa is buried under Section 107. They even had the section uh, of the giant stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And this came from another hitman named uh, Franco's in 1989 Playboy magazine interview. So he, he told the world that's where he is. And the FBI didn't find anything to support that theory. And when they demolished this, this is what I didn't understand. When they demolished the stadium in 2010, they didn't even bother looking. Oh, you're kidding me. I mean, it was coming down anyway. Take a gander, man. <laughs> Maybe the guy's there. You know, it's, I have a theory because I've been following this just because of I was not directly involved, but I was always enamored by how many theories there were, and that our government supports all these diggings and theories, and it goes on for weeks. They dig up people's well, yards. You, know, you have to entertain any bit of information, particularly in a case this infamous. I mean, this is always... And the guy vanished so many years ago, he's still uh, newsworthy. You know, and it'll always be until I find his body. Number Pat, three. What? Sorry, before you get into that. So for people who aren't too familiar with law enforcement, obviously you are. Um, so a case like this for people to still be investigating all these years later is because it's considered 
a homicide and the statute of limitations never expires. Yeah, correct? homicides uh, can only be closed by two means. One, an arrest, and two, by unusual means. In other words, if they found out that their suspect who's been on the lam for 40 years is now dead or something, but they can't find it, they'll close it out that way. But it can be reopened, you know. Uh, but those are the only two ways. Okay. Uh, but uh, this 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 third theory, uh, this is a good one, <laughs> uh, that Jimmy Hoffa was abducted by either federal uh, marshals or federal agents, driven to a nearby airport, and dropped out of a plane into one of the Great Lakes. That's a good by, one. by the federal agents. Yeah, by yeah, yeah, by by the cops. <laughs> on the, so were they the like supposed to be dirty cops or just I would think that was so. their Either that or they were working okay. on overtime? I don't know. <laughs> the guy who put this forth was a Hoffa aide and, and uh, another hitman. What a surprise! And who and, 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 and how'd they get it published? Even it's guys who just came up with no, the theory. This book, this was a 1987 book. Oh, okay. Called Hoff, Hoffa's Man, and he uh, gives this this theory that he was he was uh, he went for a swim. He was dropped out of a plane. Anyway, the outcome of this was other than Franco's word. There was nothing to support his claim. And uh, the uh, Chicago Tribune, in a review of the book, put it this way, and I'm quoting this. Uh, Former New York Times reporter Richard Hammer, who helped Franco with the book, candidly writes in the introduction that the stories have the, and in quotes, ring of truth. Uh, Maybe, (laughs) but they also reek of something else. I mean, you know. A ring of truth? write anything about half that's going to get published. That is wild. And that's the third theory. So we got a lot more to go here. <laughs> uh, well, we're getting down it. Uh, number four was uh, put forth by our friend Frank Sheeran, who basically, if you listen to him, he killed everybody from Cock Robin to JFK. Oh, I know. So he says he killed them. And who put that forth? Frank Sheeran. Uh, Sheeran. Uh, the outcome was uh, they ripped up the floorboards of a house in uh, uh, Bloomfield Township, New Jersey, in 2004, but concluded uh, that the blood found on those floorboards, which Frank Sheeran said was half his blood, was not. It's amazing how this guy got away with so much stuff. And I remember when De Niro bought the book, the rights to the book, in 2004. And he said, what do you think of this? The book was, uh, I paint houses or something like that? I heard you paint houses. What's that? I heard you paint houses. I what? I heard you paint houses. I heard you. That was like that's the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah that, that, that's the code word for. The code I, word, exactly. That, that you kill somebody. But I yes. mean, how did this guy get so far with all of this basically bullshit? Well, I tell you, <laughs> the book wasn't that successful and it would have died with him. But De Niro wrote the rights. So they kept it alive for all these years in the event they made a movie. I'm sure, or I'm thinking, that Robert De Niro didn't expect it to take 17 years for this picture to get made. No, he, I, I was around Bobby, uh, not, not that early on, but the last five or six years I've been close to Bobby for other reasons, and this thing just keeps coming up. And then when I heard they were making it, I mean, it was just like, well, the thing that I knew he was not involved in was the Kennedy assassination. Uh, he was involved in anything you talked about. He no, was but I'm saying personally because of what was going on at Cal Neva and what, what happened and who the shooters were. 
had nothing to do with shearing. No, he, you know, he had his, he knew he was going to be in prison the rest of his life. Every time he opened his mouth about who, uh, who he killed that was famous, the reporters came in, they interviewed him. He loved, in fact, the YouTube videos of, uh, oh, I'll talk about uh, our, our, our next uh, guy in theory number five was the Iceman Kuklinski. Oh, my he was God. Like yeah. another, he was like another Sheeran. He killed everybody. In fact, he killed people that Sheeran killed. Uh, they, mm. uh, I don't know if they, they were going to shoot it out and decide who actually pulled the trigger on these people, but uh, Kuklinski was a psychopathic hitman. He got the name the Iceman because he would put his victims in a freezer, uh, put them in a deep freeze before he would uh, hide the body somewhere. But he said that he killed Hoffa. Uh, and received, it was it was a contract killing, and he received forty thousand dollars for it. That's amazing. And and it was the outcome of it. The, the former chief of the organized crime investigations for the uh, New Jersey Division of Criminal Justice said uh, uh, basically uh, it was all bullshit. Uh, and that's the way they left it. They didn't even look into it because he he was like Sharon. He killed everybody if people would listen to him. And both these guys are doing all of this from from prison cells. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm surprised. Any, I'm surprised that even the FBI would even listen to them, or a, a reporter would want to go report on it. I mean, once again, the, the, the name Hoffa gets gets you your name in the paper. You know, if you say something involving Hoffa, your news. Uh, we're getting down to the end here. Uh, Hoffa is theory number six of nine. Uh, Hoffa was killed, and his, bo his body was buried beneath a swimming pool in uh, Bay, Bay Hampton Township. And this was uh, something uh, that was said by a guy named Richard Powell. He used to live on the property. He was serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for a 1982 homicide. And the outcome of that was they figured that uh, this guy, uh, Powell, just wanted to hear himself talk because every time he said something, he was taken out of jail and he was interviewed and the press interviewed him. So that was his oh. ticket. Well, I thought maybe his wife wanted a new pool, so they'd dig it up for them and the, the federal government pay for it. <laughs> okay, it was now, his break out of prison. In, uh, in 2011, there was a book published called The Weasel, A Double Life in the Mob. And the theory here is that Hoffa's kills buried him beneath the 73-story Renaissance Center in downtown Detroit. I, you know, when I started reading this, I said, this, this, was this the site of the Renaissance Hotel and Casino that our friend Gianni Russo owned in Vegas? <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. That was in Vegas. <laughs> downtown Detroit. Uh, anyway, he writes this book. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, a guy named Marvin Elkin, a self-described chauffeur and goon for mob bosses, whatever that means, uh, wrote this book, uh, The Weasel, A Double Life in the Mob. Anyway, the outcome of that was the building... Uh, it was a home to the uh, uh, to uh, General Motors uh, stands, and the claim was never taken seriously. They never looked. But let me ask you a question: okay. Us being in the literary business, and and Megan knowing this business as well as we do, who would give credence and even publish this books after well, all, the, all these liars so far? Very very small presses that actually print books in their garage. They'll print anything. Oh wow! You know, and or they oh, I should yeah, we should have asked that. Were they? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, if it was published, maybe it was self-published. Because can you picture St. Martin's Press saying, "Oh yeah, we'll do that"? 
Take well, that's what I'm saying. Well, I I only have one experience. The book we did, and I knew. I mean, the vetting, as you pointed out, so many times to our audience, that is a major prob- oh, problem. Problem because yeah. they take it apart. Yeah. No, this, so what happens in the? Go ahead, Megan. Sorry. So what happens um, if you know there is a story that someone's trying to publish? But there are no references or no people who are still alive to attest to that. How does that work? If if, if everybody in the book is dead, and I mean everybody, uh, and the book is about someone famous, in this case Hoffa, and with Sheeran, he was dropping names of people he killed, and, and actually they're all dead. There's no harm in, in publishing it. The only thing that people are going to say was, it's all a lie, but there's nobody around to sue you. And when, and, so then and, does the publisher really have a problem there? Or no, they just... they if they're dead, they don't care. You can't sue a dead person. Or a dead person okay. No, but I'm, I'm just time. wondering if, if it's a reputable publishing house and there are well, only you know, you can, six you can, books already about the guy. You know, with, with something called Publishing on Demand, which was invented around uh, the late 1990s, you can call yourself a publisher and use a publishing on demand house like Amazon Kindle. Is publishing on demand. If you want to self-publish on Amazon, people can order one book and they'll print it. Nothing's printed. You order a book, they print it, or you can order a thousand books and they'll print it. But you can call yourself a publisher and use their services. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and these small publishers, that's what they're doing. I, I know personally of one who calls themselves a, a publisher but is using a publishing on demand service because there's no money involved. You only pay for the books you buy. There's no setup. There's nothing. Anyway, getting down to the end here. Number eight, Hoffa was buried in a makeshift grave beneath a concrete slab of a barn in Oakland Township, about 25 miles north of Detroit. This was uh, from a reputed mafia captain named Tony Zarilli. Have you heard from Johnny? No. Okay. Uh, in the online, uh, uh, he published something online called Hoffa Found. Uh, Zarilli was in prison for organized crime. Uh, uh, crimes when uh, Hoffa disappeared, but he claimed he was informed about Hoffa's whereabouts after his release. The outcome of that is the FBI and the police in 2013 spent two days digging at the site, which uh, no longer had a barn, but they found nothing. I mean, it's amazing how they just show up and do it. Once again, political pressure. Somebody told you where Hoffa's buried, you're at least going to look. I don't know what happened when they tore Giant Stadium. But what about a cadaver dog? You're just walking around a minute. Don't (laughs) smell anything. Don't bring in Uh, the bulldozers. Hold those trucks. (laughs) Okay, now, this last theory is ongoing now. This was in the papers about an old media that I saw maybe about a month ago. Hoffa's body was delivered. This is the theory. Hoffa's body was delivered to a New Jersey landfill in 1975 placed in a steel drum and buried about 100 yards away on state property that sits below an elevated highway. Now, to interrupt us for a second, you remember when uh, we had Mike Russell on the show back in the day, the undercover cop? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay. He espoused this theory back when we had him on two years ago. He said he's pretty sure that this is true because he was working undercover when all this went down, and he heard people talking about it. So he told us about it two years ago, but it's just coming to light now. Okay, who put this forth? A guy by the name of, he's a journalist named Dan Moldia, who has written extensively about the Hoffa saga as a result. Dan Moldia, our Dan Moldia, the famous writer? Yep. Wow. 
uh, who was uh, extensive, who wrote extensively about the Hoffa saga as a result of interviews with Frank Coppola. Coppola died in 2020, who says his father owned the land filled where the, where the body is buried. Now, the outcome is still going on, and I'll read this from the media. Uh, the outcome is to be determined because it's still going on. The FBI obtained a search warrant to do a site survey, which it completed last month and is analyzing the data. The agency hasn't said whether it mo- removed anything from the site, so they still haven't come out with the results. Thinking if he was buried, I mean, he's dust. Hello. So they have to. They have seventy-five. To, uh, Hello. Yeah. Well, they have to analyze it's forty-five uh, years. Yeah. Well, they have to analyze all the the earth, the ground, whatever. Uh, yeah, they I know. Well, the FBI, uh, from what I read, will be coming out within the month about whether they found half a DNA. Or whatever else they needed, hair, nails, teeth, whatever, because they don't disintegrate. That would be so difficult. I mean, even if you find remnants of, of human remains, the the testing that goes into that, how many different people it could be. Well, doesn't that just seem really. like an endless yeah, search? Half the huh? family's still around, so there's a familial DNA, and teeth and nails don't go anywhere. They don't disintegrate. So. Right. Uh, uh, it should be easy, but I guess before the FBI opens their mouths and embarrasses themselves, they want to know for sure. Well, let but me I ask you a question, uh, just yeah. because I, I don't know. I just heard something that hair, nails, and teeth don't disintegrate? No, not necessarily hair. If I said hair, I misspoke. Nails and, and teeth. How many times have yeah. you seen? Why wouldn't your teeth? I know that area they're talking about. There's so much oil and chemicals in that, that ground well that's why i guess they're taking their time who knows the point is they haven't come up with a no this is a theory like the rest of them it doesn't hold water they haven't said that yet no but what but i'm saying okay all right well, until they yeah, find they'll, they'll out, come out with something definitive either yes or no no but the bottom so line they- is if it's in a drum the drum would decay by now it's 45 years no matter what he's in 45 years well I mean, you know, DNA, you know, going back yeah. to the uh, the O.J. Simpson case, they didn't have something called touch DNA back then. Right. Well, they have it now. And even the most minute uh, amount of, of DNA could be tested. And the FBI is the most sophisticated crime lab in oh, the yeah. world. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's has so, been. Uh, the point is, I'm intrigued because this was a while. They did this a month ago, and they haven't said anything yet. And they have to say something because the press is all over them. So this may be... You know, and it, let's say for the sake of argument, it is where he was buried. We had this information two years ago, and we released it to the public through Mike Russell. Think about it. No, but let me say this to you. When we get more into the show, he definitely is not there. <laughs> okay. Your turn. We just we just went through the theories. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about what you heard and yeah. when. Paint us the picture of that time when you heard who it was from, if you can. Well, I, um, I can, and I will. Okay. Because And, and, and it's ironic because Pat was doing this guy's daughter's biography. Yeah. Teresa D'Alessio. Okay. Hello. And Pope D'Alessio, her father, had a scrapyard on Staten Island, and that car was brought to him and ironically, another good gentleman that was in your book, Tommy Bellotti, who grew to fame 
in the Gambino family was shot down in front of Sparks. He said the same thing. I heard it from about 10 people that they moved the engine block, the axles, and they just crushed the car. And more street talk, there was about six or seven major mob guys in the syndicate that were bidding on the block because if anybody has seen one of those car crushing blocks come out, I think they're like two and a half feet by three or three foot. Yeah, they crush it. They're, they're, you know, not much larger than a than a, a good sized Rubik's cube. Right. You know, I mean, they really crush it down. And not only that, the friction heat. There is no DNA left. The, the compressed steel like that. The paint is even off the car. Very slight traces. So why did these? What did these mob guys want the uh, want the cube for? What are they use this as a paperweight? I mean, why did they want it? <laughs> well, the, the guy that I think hasn't made a coffee table out of it. He has a six foot piece of glass on it, and he teases people who are in the know with him. So let's go downstairs and have a cigar with Hoffa. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Not not to make a bad joke, but it's not a coffee table, it's a half a table. <laughs> there you go. Good I one. Johnny, why? <laughs> oh, I apologize of course. for that. Oh, no, I why? That. I mean, it's... No, but I'm just saying, the only reason, and I have no reason to even say what or where, I mean, I couldn't tell you anyway, but that theory was around forever and ever and ever, and D'Alessio's were known and were respected to handle stuff like that for people. Yeah, I actually spoke to Pope. Pope, Pope was Teresa's uncle. His uh, Pope was Teresa's father's brother. Right. Anyway, I spoke. I, I spoke to Pope when I was writing the book. He had to be about ninety. Uh, Sharp as attack, but he was the brother. If you're going to do something like this, he's the brother that should go to, because he wasn't really. He didn't really involve himself with day-to-day business. Nope. Uh, so uh, if you wanted to stay below the radar, you wouldn't go to Terry's father, who was the boss of the right. family. You'd go to Pope, who really was, uh, uh, took a, you know, he was on the sidelines. Pope had a major contract. If you never wanted to see any, anybody again, just get to my yard. And they, oh I, I think, if my memory serves me right, it was a Buick, Burgundy, and uh, there was one other guy in the car with him. <laughs> so now, why, why isn't this a, th- a theory that is out there? Or because nobody came to the F- nobody came by to anyone the F- else. Nobody, nobody said what? It's an inside so it would have to come directly to the FBI rather than be reported and be out there. Or be in a phony well, book and say something. They have to have, have some reason to go check it, I guess. Exactly. And uh, local police departments have to invite the FBI in unless they think it's a federal okay. crime. It's not what you see in the movies. You know, the FBI shows right up. They have to be invited in unless it's, it's involved with something federal. But these guys are, are, are naturally not going anywhere, but speaking among themselves, yeah, it sounds plausible. No, I mean, you know, and again, I have nothing to do with don't want to know who's ever listening. I do not know. <laughs> but I've heard this story since, that's why I remember July. I mean, 
and another funny time at that in my life, I was playing Albert Anastasia. So this was a big conversation. Yeah. When we were making Lepke. I mean, this is that whole life was going on theatrically in my life. Plus, I'm still yeah. around Tommy. Tommy and, and that whole family were very close to me until they all died. In fact, I, I sent his brother Jimmy home from Vegas in a body bag because he called me, and, and, and Jimmy, they used to call him the spider. But the, the four Bellotti brothers were nobody to mix, miss, um, mess with. I mean, the older brother, Matty, well, I mean, he was probably one of the toughest people in the world. They all were known for their brawn. And they, they would kill you. I mean, they would punch you to death. They were known for it. They were tough. And Joey just died. Joey was the last brother that died. He died last year. And he was a marksman. And if anybody heard the story, even in my book, I tried to hire Joey, because he was such a marksman, to shoot me on the sidewalk of the premiere of The Godfather. And now, for the people who didn't read the book, are probably asking the question, why? Well, for the people who want, because I felt here I am, an unknown. The movie had such, you know, recognition, the book rather. And if I'm going to the world premiere at Paramount Pictures on, on you know, they, they had bleaches. They closed down Broadway. That's how big this was. And Army Archer from Variety was televising live. And so was Merv Griffin televising live. So I felt knowing Tommy was such a great shot. I had meetings with him, and he kept telling me, Johnny, I can't guarantee you I'm not going to kill you. And he said, I got to see the the weather forecast that day. The, the slightest wind could change that direction of that bullet. And I got to see where why I, you did. What? Tell him why you did. What? Why did you do it? Why did you do this? Why? Because <laughs> I was 25 years old, insane. And I felt <laughs> if I get out of the car and they say, ladies and gentlemen, First time seeing Gianni Russo, who played Carlo and the Godfather, and I get shot on national television. I'd be on every headline throughout the world, and I'd become a star immediately. <laughs> now, that's a great reason. And if you want even better publicity, you have not shoot you between the eyes. Oh, no, no, no. No, I'll tell you how serious I was. A guy called Dr. Theodore Jacobs... From Vegas, I brought him as my date. He was in the car, and and to prove that I'm, I'm this was going on, his two children became doctors in Las Vegas. Their last names are Jacobs, and they know the story because I took them to Italy, and and they, they were always telling the stories. You are nuts! You this my because but his father loved it because he got to go to the world premiere of The Godfather. I just wanted him in the car. But then the last minute, Joey said, I can't do it. I'm going to kill you. We, we, there was a, a, a slight breeze. Well, you know. A drop, about, you, a, a drop of rain hits the bullet. Well, that's you know, what he told me. But he took me out of it. I was in New York already. I flew yeah. in. And he came from Staten Island. 
And we, I'll tell you right where we were. We were at the Warwick Hotel, three blocks away from where Paramount Theater was. And he already scouted out a roof, got a clear shot and all that. And he said, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is like, you're I'm nuts. But no, I was, well, that we know. No, I mean, but I mean that that probably would have been my most insane bit <laughs> or skit. <laughs> and can you can you imagine if he missed and he hit Marlon Brando? Well, no, no, he wasn't near me because okay. when you get out of the car, you walk the red carpet by yourself. Yeah. It's not a group, you know. Yeah. We're not all standing together. He's going to pin out me. No, he had a clear shot of me. There would be no problem. Yeah, so was shot. he just going to be a flesh wound, like arm, leg? Well, yeah, that's that what. I, that's he was supposed to shoot me. You know, my arm or a leg. He's but how? There's no. And then when he scoped it out and and then got the weather report, which I thought was funny, he's getting the weather report. But that was it. But I thought it would have. I mean, well, but we will never know. But I think I would have been. Headline news everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> being taken away in an ambulance, my first movie, you know. But that didn't happen. But <laughs> when all these theories of the Hoffas, and let's get back to why I'm thinking of this, everybody was talking about, on the hush-hush, that Pope D got rid of Hoffa. I... I you know, if I would have known this theory back then, I would have pressed Teresa. Oh, she would have. She would have told you. Yeah, she yeah. Probably would have got the book sold too. Oh, I, 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 I sold the book, but she got. Uh, this is nothing. She got uh, Alzheimer's and couldn't sell her own book. Oh wow. Oh man. Well, yeah, you know, you know, you know just data. doing the research. She was going out with Tommy Ernst, talking about another maniac. That's he how was, the book starts. Yeah, I mean, he he was the guy we're talking about, Tommy Ernst, Teresa's boyfriend. We were all in, in in Brooklyn, just to show you the mentality of this guy. We were all in Brooklyn at a dance. I think St. Fortunatas or Regina Padres, all these schools had these Latin dances. And we used to take the 69th Street Ferry from Staten Island and go. So now there's one night. We get we get there late, and they stop the ferry at midnight, and there we are with three three carloads of guys, and they notice Tommy Ernst notices there's a ferry still running over there. He says, "Let's take the ferry." I said, "What do you mean? It ain't, it's not running." He said, "No, I mean let's take it. Let's <laughs> leave our cars here, because you know you know you don't know you can't drop a you know he could have drive the cars on." He literally, I mean, we could look it up. He literally stole the ferry, took it to South Beach, not to St. George to pull in so the cops could come and get him. <laughs> and we, we all drove off the ferry in South Beach. He was a maniac anyway. That's what got him killed. Well, Tommy, Tommy killed him. Yeah. Tommy Bellotti killed him. He, they you were know, both we in love with the same girl. Talk about maniacs. We got to do a show on the Bellotti's. We should do a show on the Bellotti's. Yeah. I mean, they, they talk about, and, and, and he's world famous because he got shot with Paul Castellano in front of Sparks by none other than 
our friend John Gotti. I mean, mm. that, that, and these guys were really tough guys. Interesting topics. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so basically out of the uh, nine theories we've presented, you believe that there is a tenth or what is actually what happened, correct? <laughs> yeah, I think th that could be interesting. That could, I mean. I'd, hmm. I'd like to get a hold of that table. A, a lot of people would. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the FBI but, but, would too. But no, but there's no DNA in it. So if you actually, uh, the, the friction heat, any scientist can tell you to crush a car. I mean, if, if you just took a, 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 which we all have done, well, not, not maybe everybody, but we used to make zip guns out of car antennas. So we have to break the car antenna, then you have to keep flexing it. It would get hot just doing that to snap that. Imagine a car. Yeah, but, you know, but, but, but still, getting a hold of that cube would be major news. I don't care if they found anything. Well, I know, but it ain't going to be news unless you can prove the guy was in there. True. So this was a great show. I like this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I'm going to go to the old side of the giant stadium with a shovel. I'm going to start digging. There you go. <laughs> well, that, that, but you, you said they knocked it down and they didn't even look. No, they didn't look. So I want to be the first. But see, now that's what I'm saying. Why didn't they look there when they were told he was going to be there? That's a freaking mystery because they were getting it was being knocked down for them. I mean, they didn't have to do any work. Yeah, I oh, remember I that. Know. They always used to say he was at the Giant Stadium under the Giant Stadium. That was yeah. a rumor for a long time. He was a cornerstone of the of the structure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, that was a good first show for the first show of the year. Maybe maybe half is someone listening to it. There Jimmy, you if you're maybe, out there. Maybe. Imagine we Jimmy get a call boy. saying, hey, I'm here. Oh, send us an email. We'll answer all your questions. Uh, <laughs> we're going to make some money and come back for the mailbag, our first yep. mailbag for the new year. All we'll right. be right back. And remember, we know where you live. Today's show is being sponsored by Corleone Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Corleone Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com that's CorleoneFineItalian.com. All right, we're back. Okay, let's get right into it. And on brand for our first uh, episode of the new year, the first question is from Linda. Seeing as the new year is quickly approaching, do you all have any resolutions or things you're looking forward to in the coming year? Well, I, I, I've resolved to start working on my second million. Uh <laughs> Well, you know, the, the first million was, was too hard to make, so I'm going to skip over that, and I'm going to go right to the second million dollars. <laughs> You're the kind That's of guy case. that has 10 loaves of bread under his arm, and he wants another one. There you go. You didn't make a million yet? Come on. No, I'm working on it. Okay. I'm working on it. Perfect. How about you? My resolution, and this is so insane, and I really think I can achieve it. In the next two years, 
I'm going to win a Grammy, a Golden Globe Award, and an Oscar in the next 24 months. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. The man right. has spoken. And, and you, and you know, Pat, we have a good shot in doing it. <laughs> we got a good shot at that Grammy, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Megan, what's yours? Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't mean to be morbid. Those were all great things. Um, you know, I had a loss in my family this past year that was very sudden and very close. So probably my resolution would be to keep in closer contact with my family members. Well, that's not even great just thought. my immediate that's not, morbid. not even just my immediate family, but no, I'm talking about the introduction to oh. it, but oh. not my immediate family. Um, but you know, my grandmother, she is ninety-one and she lives with my parents at home with me when I was growing up there. Um, just to call her more often and other family members, because you, you never know. Every so. kid in the world should take that advice from you. you, you yeah, don't you, waste any any time telling people that you love them, because one day you're not going to have yeah. that. You never Absolutely. cease to amaze me. And I say that oh, publicly. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You could have Thanks. been very selfish and said what you wanted. Yeah, I mean, I'm selfish. I'm working on my second million. Johnny's winning the Grammy. And, <laughs> and, and, and you're making sense. You that's know? right. <laughs> well, you know, there's still there's still other things no, to No, but that's, that's who well. you are, and that's fabulous. And I think yeah. our audience knows that already about you, but they just keep solidifying who you really are. And that's, I mean, your parents have well, to yeah, be so proud. Well, that's everything that's gotten me to where I am is all family, so. But I'm saying yeah. that you have to be so proud, your mother and father. Oh, I'm happy to know them too. You. I mean, because all all the Thank all you. the, your, your your brother and your sister are, are really amazing children. Well, well, thank you very much. So yeah, that's uh, I'd say those all are all great things for the new year. Yep. Okay. Next. All right. Let me get back in here real quick. Next one is from Lenny. Lenny says, Gianni, did you ever know Jane Mansfield? If sh if so, what was she like? So tragic, what happened to her? Oh, my God, yeah. I, I met Jane Mansfield just before she got killed. And uh, I was doing a project with, um, what was his name? I forgot his first name. I know his last name. But uh, she was married to him. And then Mickey Haggerty married her, obviously. And um, it, Matt Simba, wow. Talk mm. about a name. Matt Simba and I were doing a film. I hired him to direct. And he did a, just did a film that I saw that I really, really liked. And it was with Pia Isadora. Oh, oh that, yeah. Her, yeah, what is the name out of the past? Yeah, and, and her husband, who she married... Moishlin Reckless, one of the richest men in the world, wanted her to be a movie star. She was like five foot four. <laughs> you the know, most untalented person it, I ever met in my life. And, and she didn't really have a whole load of talent, but uh, there was a joke going around at the time. Her husband was so rich, he should invite every Hollywood star to a big party except for his wife. She wouldn't be invited and then he'd blow the friggin' building up. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's oh the only gosh. way you get a part of the picture if there's nobody left to hire. What became of her, do you know? I think she's still around. I mean, Matt Simber's 
I don't know. We we we, uh, we actually bought a book from Mario Puzo. I still own the rights to it, called Seven Graves to Rogan. And it was about uh, the last four days of the Second World War. Great story. Yeah. And this guy goes back to avenge his wife's death because they were tortured by the Germans. And she was with child at the time. And he heard her dying, but it wasn't her. They, they wanted him to confess. And when they, when uh, the American soldiers invaded, they found him alive on a body, pile of bodies. And he came back, rehabilitated, and came back to Germany to find these guys, seven people, seven graves for Rogan, and he was Rogan. See now, what I thought you were going to say is when they uh, they had they found him on a on a pile of bodies, that Piazzadora was one of them because that's the closest she'd ever get to being moved. <laughs> but that's not it, huh? No, we never uh, made the movie. All right. Yeah. No, I was with Liza Minnelli at, after the completion of Cabaret in Munich, and we talked to the people, all the production people, over there about film. And I said, we have a film we want to do here. And they said, oh, come, come to the office. And they were so enamored with the story. And, I, and they were just doing a subway, redoing a subway. And it would be perfect. It looked like the war that was all blown up. I said, but the only thing we need, we need to hang 50-foot SWAT stickers off the oh, building. Right. Yeah, after the war. SWAT. They escorted us <laughs> to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I didn't think I they would like to it. They didn't even let us pack. They sent our <laughs> luggage to us to France. <laughs> oh my gosh. Crazy that story. That's too man. funny. Matt Simba. Moving right along. Well, there you have it. Next is from Joseph. Gianni, what is your favorite Christmas song? Would you ever consider doing a Christmas album? Didn't they hear our show a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> Maybe not yet. Maybe they have to catch up. Okay. Well, I I did a song that I really liked, and I'd I'd like to do it. I I, I mean, this is we're going back. In fact, I was reminded the other day Billy Porter, who produced it, he passed on, but that was Elvis's uh, orchestra. It's available if you listen to the podcast. You could buy it from us. A time for giving, and it was uh, Elvis's orchestra. And then the other album was Reflections, and that was all Sinatra's orchestra. So, I mean, if you don't like the singer, the music is phenomenal. <laughs> How about something that's considered like a classic a classic Christmas song? Oh, I mean, I, I always like singing I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. I just liked that song. It was so White melodic Christmas and happy and... You know, that, that's my Christmas song, I, I would say, by other artists. Many other artists did it. <laughs> right. I think that's a good one, too. All right, next is from Rita. Rita says, this may be a bit too personal, but who would each of you say you are closest to in life? Who is the person or people you first go to when something happens, good or bad? I see that's tough because I don't. I probably speak for Gianni too. With our backgrounds, 
Yeah, all those, Maybe, all our uh, mentors yeah, are gone, man. Yeah, that, a lot of them are gone. I, I don't have any family left. It's tough. I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I find, I find, and I still, still do more. So recently, even I've been going every day. I sit in pew one hundred and two, in St. Patrick's Cathedral, and it's opposite the shrine of St. Anthony. That when I got out of the hospital, a lot of nights I spent in that place when it was cold. That's when the ho- uh, the uh, churches were open 24 hours a day. But I find going there and talking to the saint, it clears my head and mm-hmm. spiritually shows me a way out of things. And the good news about that, too, I don't really have a lot of problems anymore in my life. <laughs> it's a good thing. But like if something were to happen, some exciting news were to happen right now, who would be the first person you would tell, both of you guys? I'd go to my wife and tell her, naturally. But I also, naturally. Uh, I also don't tell her stuff. I mean, I'm a, I'm a private investigator, and sometimes I, I don't have very many pleasant jobs. I never, I mean, we've been together for 31 years. Uh, I never told her one thing about my military service. You know, there's certain things that you, you you can't talk to people about because they wouldn't understand. So that that's, has to be yeah, a situation. I, I agree with that, yeah. definitely. Well, you obviously, you, know, you have, you're surrounded by loved ones. You're blessed. You got your mother me? and your father. Yeah, you yes. Know. Yeah, I, I'm lucky that my immediate family, my siblings, my parents, the five of us are very, very close. And then um, my boyfriend, Jacob, and my best friend, Rachel, would probably be all the ones I would go to. Right. Well, I, I have nobody I can call, and I'm happy to say that. None of my kids, none of them. They're more confused than I am. They, they could they could be on a put me on the right path if if it had a white line on it and a direction you know, sign. And I I was told at a very young age uh, you can never get into trouble by keeping your mouth shut, and I'm a big uh, advocate of that. So uh, I, I don't. Unless it's imperative that I tell somebody something, I don't tell anybody anything. That's well, I, I lived through that rule. Yeah, oh yeah. It's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm I can alive. imagine. Oh man, yeah. Still do. Uh, <laughs> anyway, next. All right. Moving on. Next is from Kevin. Kevin says, "Gianni, what does a traditional Christmas look like now in the life of Gianni Russo?" It's it's so without. I have no children, fortunately, around me. And uh, I only, the only thing I put up, and I just did, I put up a manger because I never forgot what Christmas is about. It's about the mm. Christ's birth, not the guy in the red suit and how many gifts I'm getting. And I, I don't want any gifts. I never give any gifts. I, you know, people need something. During the year I do it. I don't use this as a, a symbol of giving gifts and I mean, it's. I'm, I'm very spiritual about, really about what this is about, and not the whole hoopla of, of marketing. Yeah. All right. Next is from Alejandro Gianni. Do you know Andrew Andy Mush Russo? Any relation? He's not a relationship. I know him. I'm. I'm, I'm very, I respect him. I know what he's done. We spoke about the people he was around 
and many times, nice guy. I don't know him well. I've been in his company several times. A lot of my friends are very close to him, but uh, I don't know him. But he's uh, he's doing well. My understanding, he just came out, so. Oh. But he's not a relative. Got it. All right, next one. I'll come back to the Christmas trend. This is from Alberto. Gianni, Patrick, and Megan love the show so much. Have you guys, hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. What is each of your favorite Christmas movie? I would say The Godfather. Christmas <laughs> movie? <laughs> I guess I guess you could could lump well, it they, into they, the they, Everybody right? watches it along that that time. There there is a Christmas scene in there when uh, uh, Michael and his girlfriend are coming. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay, or coming out no, of the no, unfortunately, stores. they find out that their father almost got his father almost got whacked. Mm-hmm. So that's right, not, not the uh, most uplifting scene. Yeah. Well, What's I made. Johnny, how about you? I made a Christmas movie that I still like, and it's so. It's like the the, the 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 most famous Christmas movie where you know what's the name of that miracle? What was that? Miracle Thirty Fourth Street. Is that the one with Jim Stewart? No. Which one? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. A wonder, yeah, a Wonderful Life. I did a movie with Jack. Uh, with Jack, listen to me. With um, oh my God, <sighs> Nicholas Cage. He's easy to forget. Family Man? Family Man. That's a movie about Christmas, believe it or not, and how he wakes up thinking he was on top of the world, and he finds himself in his first or back life, and I'm one of his neighbors in it. A great movie, Family Man, and it was Nicolas Cage, Leone, and a lot of nice people. In fact, a, a young genius who I miss him because he was—I he was, know him all his life. Brett Ratner directed it, but I, I recommend that to just to bring you back to reality and not think you're far superior and rich and all that. This brings you back to the true right. values. Mine is a Christmas story. Uh, hmm. are, are you familiar with it? Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I watch that every year. It's those of you who don't know what it's about. It's, uh, it's depressing, movie. isn't it? No, not at all. It's a, it's a comedy. Oh. Uh, a comedy? Uh, yeah, it's a comedy. Oh, I didn't know It's that. about a kid, basically, who wants a BB gun for Christmas. His father's played by Darren McGavin, who I think was a very underrated actor. And it's about a, a small family in a small town. In fact, the house where they shot that is a museum now because oh. of that picture. Oh, wow. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great picture. It's told from the uh, from the kid's point of view. The kid's name, the actor was Sherman Billingsley, I believe was his name. I don't know how I remember this stuff. I don't know where I parked my car. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, I think it's, it's, it's a great movie. I, I get a kick out of it every year. It starts, it's, in fact, uh, uh, the channel, the station, I believe it's TNT, plays it for an entire week, 24-7. Oh wow! Oh my gosh. Prior to Christmas, yeah. And, That's and a good Pat, one, Gianni. You, you were probably go ahead. Not. If, I was saying you probably thought he was talking about a Christmas Carol when you said depressing oh, yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. yeah. The oh no, Christmas story. Well, I, you, I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, the, the writer's name was Gene Shepard. Uh, he was a uh, 
he he had he had a radio show, one of the one of the first talk shows, all by himself. He talked to himself for about an hour. He just there was no script, there was nothing. There there are recordings of him. You probably find them on uh, YouTube. They're on the internet. Where he 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 never had a planned script. He never had anything planned. He just sit down, and he would start rapping and start talking, and he talked for an hour. This show went for years. Never had a guest. Never had commercials. He just talked. Wow. And I used to listen to this guy. For some reason, when I was a kid, I was captivated by this guy. Anyway, he he wrote that, and it was based on him, his I life. Guess. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was based on him and his parents. It's, it's just a very heartwarming movie, and I hmm. I recommend. What's your uh, favorite thing? Um, it's a Wonderful Life, okay. Jimmy Stewart. Oh wow. Yeah, that, that's good. Oh, Pat, and just for, uh, if you want to know, your car is in your driveway. Oh, thank you so much. I've been looking at that for two days. Oh, thank you so much. I, I depend on you for a lot. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have for tonight. Well, we completed okay. our first show for 2022. And again, if it wasn't for all of you out there in radio land, podcast land, iTunes, whatever, any way you get to us, Cloud, thank you. We really appreciate it. And it gives us, you give us a purpose to record a show. God bless Absolutely. you all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Good night, Gianni. Happy Maggie. New Year. Good night, good night, good night, night guys. Good night. Happy New Year. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Hurrian, with questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. I'll be at your side forever. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around.